Hi there, everybody, and welcome back to Blaze Explains. I hope you're going into a more hopeful 2021, as we all are. Loads going on. But after a brief little break, we're now back. And we're back with a topic I've been quite excited to cover ever since falling asleep listening to the audiobook of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. And the topic for today is Stoicism. And by extension, Stoicism in business, but most importantly, the philosophy in general. Um, really excited to cover this. It'll be, I think, a lot of fun. I think it's something that's worth bearing in mind um, whenever your business is going through difficult times and you are personally going through difficult times, but also, probably more importantly, when you are going through the best of times. It's one of those things that I think keeps you in check, stops you getting carried away with stuff that I guess doesn't really matter. And that's a pretty core belief. So, Stoicism. It's one of the philosophical movements that emerged during the Hellenistic period, the period of ancient Greece, and it was founded in Athens by Zeno of Citium in about 300 BCE. Uh, Heavily influenced by Socrates and the Cynics, and engaged in debates with the Skeptics, the Academics, and the Epicureans. The Cynics we've mentioned before on this podcast. Diogenes the Cynic, who lived in a barrel and only ate onions that he could get for free and was kind of a, a, a brilliant, uh, humorous, but but brilliant example. And he said to a passing prince, um, I am richer than you. Something to that effect. Uh, certainly Google that and you can check it. I try not to Google too much when we're doing these things so I don't lose the flow and you don't have to hear me typing too much. The name comes from the word porch or stoa poikile in the agora, the marketplace, That's the mural decorated hall where the students learned or lectures were given. Stoics, that's people who follow the movement, try to avoid the emotions of fear, envy, impassioned sexual attachment, or passionate love of anything that comes from false judgment. The philosophical movement believes that a sage, i.e. someone who has attained moral and intellectual perfection, would not undergo those things above, would not deal with them. Uh, Seneca and Epictetus later emphasized the doctrines that the sage is immune to misfortune and virtue is sufficient for happiness. So for Stoics, philosophy is more of a way of life. It's about how you approach and handle everything within yourself. According to Aetius, or Aetius, Stoics define philosophy as a kind of practice or exercise in the expertise concerning what is beneficial. According to Aetius, Stoics define, oh sorry, for thousands of years, Stoicism has been a tool for the ordinary and the elite alike. It was a philosophy designed for action, not for a classroom. The three topos of Stoic philosophy are physics, logic, and ethics. So the first topoi, physics. The beginning of the Stoic anthology may come from Plato, where he questions what is real and what has being. That one answer is the capacity to act or to be acted upon is the distinctive mark of real existence or that which is. The Stoics accept this criterion and add a ride that only bodies can act or be acted upon. Taking that from uh, Stanford. The Stoic topos of physics includes what we today call natural science. So, things that we can quantify and therefore make reason judgments and act on. So science, reasoning is important here. Stoics thought that everything that exists is corporeal, i.e. has a body, has a form, including God and the soul, but they also recognized the category of the incorporeal. The Stoics embraced two principles of nature, an active one, which is identified with reason, 
and God, that's logos, the word, and a passive one, substance, matter. Here's a quote now from IEP, uh, the UTM. The active principle is ungenerated and indestructible, while the passive one, which is identified with the four classical elements of water, fire, earth, and air, is destroyed and recreated at every eternally recurring cosmic conflagration, a staple of Stoic cosmology. So, the active principle is ungenerated and indestructible. It's two sides of nature. The passive one changes all the time. This is when people say the material things on earth don't matter, and they'll be gone the next day, and it's the the bigger things like family or love or um, legacy that are more important. Learning, knowledge that is passed on. So that's reason and God. That's the logos. That's the active. That stays ungenerated and indestructible. And the passive changes. Consequently, God is imminent in the universe and is in fact identified with the great, with the creative cosmic fire. This also means that the Stoics, unlike the Aristotelians, did not recognize the concept of a prime mover nor of a Christian type God outside of time and space on the grounds that something incorporeal cannot act on things because it has no causal powers. So this is really the triumphalism of reason reasoning as, as the indestructible here. It has to be able to relate to normal things directly and influence them and influence how you can act with them. Cosmic conflagrations for the Stoics repeat themselves in the exact same manner. Because God, nature, lays out things in the best possible way the previous time around, there's therefore no reason to change that one would get the same outcome from an entirely deterministic causal model of the universe. So there is a sense in which the Stoics are materialists, or perhaps more accurately, given their understanding of matter as the passive principle, as we've said, corporealists, prizing the indestructible. The second top way, logic. The definition of logic by Stoics include not only the analysis of argumentative forms, but also rhetoric, grammar, the theories of concepts, propositions, perception, and thought. So it's about teaching yourself to think. Thus, Stoic logike included not only what we would call logic, but also the philosophy of language and epistemology. So this is one of those things that I fear is, is slightly being lost in the way education is run at the moment. It's not prized in the way it should be uh, in, in the typical disciplines where you'd expect this to thrive. What's happening is actually people are being uh, pushed and educated in order to just repeat back what they're being told and not to develop uh, these skills of rhetoric, grammar. And um, there's, a, I think, a massive disbalance, imbalance between the people who are able to do that, who are able to argue properly and reason and adapt, and those who just can't. And you see this at the highest levels, among the most educated people in our societies, and definitely among the most educated people in business, uh, which is why the sort of the adage of this, everybody ends up working for the C students is, is, is telling here because they probably spent more time learning how to think and how to reason and less on just repeating back what they needed to be told. Because there's lots of people who can do that. Not so many who can do this, though. The theory of syllables or lector. The distinction by Stoics between the signification, the, signifi the signifier, and the name-bearer. The signifier is the utterance, the thing that's said. The name-bearer is what gets signified, the thing that we're talking about. And these two are called the bodies. The signification is the incorporeal thing called the lecton, or sayable. Sayable is defined as that which subsists according to the rational impression. The rational impression. The thing that it means. I guess another way I'll be saying that would be the greater meaning of what we're saying there. Rational impressions are those alterations of the commanding faculty or rational mind whose content can be exhibited in language. Presumably, Graphi Socrates and Socrates writes exhibits the contents of one and the same rational impression in different languages. That's from Plato Stanford. At first glance, this looks very like a modern theory of propositions and indeed propositions are one axiomata, Hey, and axiom are one subspecies of Stoic sayables, 
but it would be a mistake to assimilate this subclass of sayables too closely to modern theories of propositions. I'm just going to keep going through this so that you guys get a real sense. The Stoic theory holds invariant the identity of the sayable corresponding to my utterances on the different occasions, but allows its truth value to change. In addition to these axiomata, the class of so-called complete sayables includes questions and commands, as well as syllogisms. So this is almost a comment on what the use of language is and the incorporeal power of language within society and certainly within ourselves and in how you approach life. The Stoics also made progress in the language world by what we would now call proportional language. They developed accounts of proportional negation, conjunction, disjunction, and entered the ongoing debate over the correct understanding of conditionals about modality and bivalence, bivalence I should say. Chrysippus, in particular, was convinced that bivalence and the law of excluded middle apply even to contingent statements about particular future events or states of affairs. He insisted that if there was motion without a cause, it would mean that some propositions would not be either true or false. But in fact, every proposition is either true or false. So he concluded that there is no motion without a cause. The most famous topic for Stoics under the headline of logic is the criterion of truth and the Stoics disputes with the skeptical New Academy about it. According to Chrysippus, the criterion of truth is the cognitive impression, the fantasia cataleptica, an impression that firmly grasps its object. I love that phrase, an impression that firmly grasps its object. The relation between object and the impression. Development of impressions and reasoning that will get you there is kind of at the core of this, and why I think it holds such value just in one's daily life, whether or not you choose to become a Stoic or not. A criterion or canon of truth is an instrument for definitively determining that something is true. And the Hellenistic schools all provide some view on how it is that we are to measure or evaluate whether something is true or not. The Stoics' cognitive impression is an impression which, according to Zeno's definition, arises from that which is, is stamped and impressed in accordance with that very thing and of such a kind as could not arise from what is not. So, what is true and what must be related to what is true? However, Stoics don't maintain that, a, that just having a cognitive impression constitutes knowledge. Real knowledge, episteme, requires cognition, which is secure, firm, and unchangeable right by reason. You need to be able to attack your own ideas and know that they'll stand up or adjust them. And furthermore, worked into a systematic whole with other such cognitions, they have to make sense, not just on their own, but in the wider pantheon. This is a lesson that so many people could learn today. Uh, people have, you know, argue major public societal and political issues in such a way that allows for, well, doesn't even allow for, it deliberately obstructs the ability to actually review it in its context and as part of a systematic whole of how you do things, which is why you get um, awful things like cancel culture. But this is also kind of one of the reasons why communism became popular, is it, it gives you an excuse to shut down, and fascism for that matter, it just... Sh- you shut down everything you disagree with because it's not part of your systematic whole. Sorry, rather, because it's not part... It, 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 having them exist would show that they do not coexist with the systematic whole. So they shut down all other thinking and prosecute it, which is why you always have to be able to have your ideas stand up. The Stoic school had a great influence on Greek society. Since the Stoics gathered and learned in the public place, the general ideas of their philosophy were well known compared to the views of Plato or Aristotle. In part, this is also because Stoicism discussed the questions that most people are concerned with, such as death, suffering, wealth, poverty, power, and even slavery. At the Greek political level, the Antigone dynasty has connections with the Stoic philosophy. Meanwhile, on the Roman political level, 
Those associated with Stoicism included Cato the Younger, Marcus Junius Brutus, Gaius Cassius Longinus, Gaius Octavius, and many more massive figures in history that influence our lives to this very day. Stoicism also influenced Roman philosophers, including Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius, the emperor and the author of Meditations. Okay, now on to the third topoi, and then we'll get into it. Ethics. Stoics believe ethics was the point of doing philosophy. The best way into the thicket of Stoic ethics is through the question of what is good. All agree that possession of what is generally good secures a person's happiness, and happiness is the ultimate goal of Stoics. The only Stoic's motto was to live according to nature. This means both the rational providential aspect of cosmos and more specifically human nature. There's a a line in Meditations where Marcus Aurelius talks about what is sex but the act of friction and the stimuli that you get from that. And, you know, it's not to knock the importance of it in society and in interpersonal relations, but, you know, at a certain point, why do people stay together if they're no longer able to or they are physically unable to? Um, in advanced age or after disability. Well, it's not for that, because there's something greater, incorporeal, than that. From Plato Stanford again, which we cite heavily here. Um, Feel free to look it up. Leaving in agreement with nature in this sense can even demand that I select things that are not typically appropriate to my nature at all, when that nature is considered in isolation from these particular circumstances. As long as the future is uncertain to me, I always hold to these things which are better adapted to obtaining the things in accordance with nature. For God himself has made me disposed to select those. But if I actually knew that I was fated now to be ill, I would even have an impulse to be ill. For my foot too, if it had intelligence, would have an impulse to get muddy. It's sort of the the idea of having your fortune told and then having it come true, mainly because the fact that you've had it told has made it much more likely that it's now going to come true. As long as the future is uncertain to me, I always hold to those things that are better adapted to obtaining the things in accordance with nature. Having the future be uncertain allows you to dictate it via your own philosophy and the way that you think. Human nature here is translated as a social animalistic thing capable of bringing rational judgment to bear on problems posed on how to live one's life, i.e. UTM. For Stoics, human beings have a natural tendency to develop morally, a tendency that begins with instinct and then can be greatly defined with the onset of the age of reason, at the childhood stage and beyond. Stoics believe human beings are naturally a... Uh, believers in a fashion as to advance our interests and goal, definitely true. B, identify with other people's interests, definitely true. It's how we interact. C, figure out ways to navigate the changes in life. Boom, that's life. And this is universal, and we can identify with that at any point in history, not just now. Again, there's that, I think it's a Heinrich Schliemann quote, but I'm not sure. Every, all is Greece. These are, everything seemed to happen there, and I feel like we've learned nothing new. How to translate the goal of living into an evaluation of actions. When someone performs an action that accords with nature which good reasons can be given for, Stoics call that proper function. Something that falls on a person to do. It is your obligation to behave like this. And think about what that means in in, in the context of running a company. It falls on you to do it properly, in accordance with nature, in accordance to what is around you and the conditions and circumstances that you find yourself, and so that you have good reasons to do it. The Stoics divide proper functions as those which do not depend upon circumstances and those who do. So, i.e., it would still be a good idea in another context, i.e., an appalling action that seems palatable in one particular set of circumstances does not therefore mean that it is okay everywhere else. Now, you may argue that you can justify the dropping of of a nuclear bomb to end World War II, but you can't justify dropping a nuclear bomb to end every war not to veer too far into that field. A proper function becomes a fully correct action 
or katothoma, only when it is perfected as an action of the specific kind to which it belongs and so is done virtuously. And what are the virtues? The four cardinal virtues, temperance, courage, justice, and practical wisdom. Temperance, moderation, mate, courage, be brave. So I'm just going to have to plug my laptop in again. So courage to be made. practical wisdom, the ability to actually employ all of that into real action. And putting it into action is really the most important thing, given that that is actually the philosophy, the what underpins the philosophy itself. I'll just pull it up on my phone quickly. Some charging issues. Temperance, courage, justice, and practical wisdom. Justice being the important one. This is the thing that makes it right to employ and to think about and to use in society. So what makes it acceptable to everybody around you. These are derived from Socrates, especially Plato's Republic, which is a must-read if you haven't read it. And also a must-think. Don't just read it, really think about it. Virtue, and this is for Arius Didymus again, who we quoted from earlier. Virtue is an expertise or a techne concerned with the whole of life. That's what a virtue is. Like other forms of knowledge, virtues are characters of the soul's commanding faculty that are firm and unchangeable. The other similarity with Socratic ethics is that Stoics think that the virtues, that virtues are really just one state of soul. And I guess that would be one that you inform with everything that you do and you put into practice with the actions that you take through life. Chrysippus further elaborated on this idea of pluralism within an underlying unity, making the virtues essentially inseparable, so that, say, one cannot be courageous and yet intemperate, in the stoic sense of those words. You can't be courageous but give in to your worst impulses uh, in the actions of doing so, whether or not that's what you mean. You have to actually be able to have that balance, that temperance, as you do it. Three Stoic disciplines, desire, action, and assent. Desire, referred to as a Stoic acceptance, is derived from the study of physics, that first top way, and in particular the study of universal cause and effect. It consists of training one's desire on what the universe allows and what it doesn't allow. Train yourself for what is going to make you better and do well. Train yourself for disciplines that are going to help you. Do not train yourself to, to take part in things that are going to harm you in the long, t- long term, that you know are not virtuous. Do things that you know ultimately are going to be good for you and don't do the things that you know ultimately are going to be bad for you. And this is true in everything and certainly true in businesses. Successful businesses, there are thousands of examples of when they take themselves into a realm of acting because they can, not because they should, and then paying the price for it later. The penalty accrues if you don't address it with how you actually take action. And it's something that everybody can do. Action is also called Stoic philanthropy and is the most pro-social of the cardinal virtues. The basic idea is that human beings ought to develop their natural concern for others in a way that is congruent with the exercise of the virtue of justice. You should be thinking not just about yourself, but about society as a whole, if you're going to enact justice in a way that can be consistent outside of whatever circumstances that you're discussing it through. And with temperance, not giving into impulsions such as retribution, revenge, or anything else. And then there is assent. Assent is referred to as stoic mindfulness. This means the discipline regards the necessity of making a decision about what to accept and reject in our experience of the world and how to make a proper judgment. Given the Stoics' view about good and bad as against merely indifferent things, the only time that one should assent to the impression that something bad is present is when there is something which might threaten one's virtue, for this and this alone is good. That's a really great one. That, 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 that's something that will actually, that actually helps you make informed, intelligent decision-making when you aren't sure which way to go. Given the Stoics' view against good and bad, da, 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 should assent to the impression that something bad is present is when there is something that might threaten one's virtue, for this and this alone is good. 
Don't compromise yourself and don't compromise great values. Don't compromise integrity. Warren Buffett says it takes 20 years to build a reputation, five minutes to destroy one. You don't harm the virtues that you aspire to. However, Stoic ethics actually attempt to strike a balance between the asceticism of the cynics, that was Diogenes living in a barrel eating free onions, and the somewhat elitist views of the peripatetics. It does so through the introduction of a wholly stoic concept, and somewhat controversial, of preferred and dispreferred indifference. Zeno distinguished between indifference as those that have value, axia, and those that have disvalue, apaxia. The first includes things like health, wealth, and education, while the second group is comprised of things like sickness, poverty, and ignorance. That's from Diogenes Laertius. So, that's interesting. This is where it you know, can get difficult, and this is where you get uh, controversial views such as poverty is a condition of the mind, which, you know, eh, not sure about that. Two passions defined by Stoics, appetite and fear. They're associated with two other passions, pleasure and distress. What distinguishes these states of soul from normal impulses is that they are excessive impulses which are disobedient to reason. Love this. God, I'm getting into this. So much fun. They're associated with two other passions, pleasure and distress. What distinguishes these states of soul from normal impulses is that they are excessive impulses which are disobedient to reason. Marcus Aurelius and meditation is next. Excessive impulse. I just want to dwell on this for a second. Excessive impulses that are disobedient to reason. That, you could almost say the whole thing in a nutshell right there. Don't give in to excessive impulses that are disobedient to reason. Don't do something that you know is not what you need to do, that you know will harm you in the long run, that you know will harm the things that govern what you do and how you do it. You can apply that everywhere. In the newsroom, in the boardroom, on the ground level, on the warehouse floor, everywhere. You don't build a house with shoddy craftsmanship. The thing that you rely on to make it good is doing the job right. Right materials, right disciplines, right the best practices. Marcus Aurelius and the Meditations. Part two. Thanks for in, in, in enduring my definitions of Stoicism. Um, definitely wanted to make up for some of the shorter pieces that we've done uh, with this, um, this much longer one, which uh, I'm not sure how it's going to come out. We may break it up. We may decide to. Anyway, Marcus Aurelius says, Marcus Aurelius and the Meditations. We're going to start with some quotes here. If thou wouldst master care and pain, care and pain, thinking and pain, unfold this book and read and read again its blessed leaves whereby thou soon shalt see the past, the present, and the days to be with opened eyes, and all delight, all grief, shall be like smoke, as empty and as brief. Now, this is a, a, a modern translation uh, that is really beautifully done. It's found at the end of the Vatican manuscript of the Meditations of Marcus Aurelius, and it captures the perennial... I'm reading, sorry, I'm reading this from Donald J. Robertson's uh, article on Medium. If you want to look it up, it's three modern translations of Marcus Aurelius. It captures the perennial appeal of the book, which is that it offers a way to master care and pain by providing philosophical insights that promise to elevate our minds above worldly concerns both the things we crave and those we fear. I'm going to read that again because I enjoyed it so much. If thou wouldst master care and pain, unfold this book and read and read again its blessed leaves whereby thou soon shalt see the past, the present, and the days to be. With opened eyes and all delight, all grief, shall be like smoke, as empty and as brief. Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor in the age of the imperial cult and a titanic figure really in the history of philosophy and history. He was a rather unusual emperor. He had almost limitless power and wealth. And he had a pretty hard life heading a war to defend the empire 
and, and this is amazing, would be enough to make an emperor a tyrant and a madman. And a lot of them did become tyrants and madmen, a lot of them. But Aurelius, whatever you think of maybe some actions that he took, you know, a different age, um, I'm sure he did some stuff that we consider war crimes today. Although I, I'm, I, I'm not basing that on anything. I, I, I th- I just, I'm just saying if he did, and he can't be totally pure. Nobody can. But Aurelius was humble and objective. He constantly reminded himself of his own mortality, insignificance, and fallibility from the art of living. In this writing, Aurelius makes philosophy non-philosophical. It's often viewed as an accessible, quotable, and practical philosophy book. That's Meditations. He repeatedly wrote on the same theme over and over again. I love that, just driving home those core truths. And that funny thing is, that's the virtues of Stoicism. Driving them home, making sure they are part of the systematic whole. The book was not meant to be published. It's actually more of a personal notebook for Aurelius. All right, so the, the book's divided into 12 sort of sections. Reason and meaning. So book one, Aurelius thanks his closest in a circle, including his parents, his teacher, and his wife. Book two, Aurelius reminds us that we will meet bad people every day, but we shouldn't judge them as we have faults too. As for death, it is nothing to fear. The most important thing is our mind. We shouldn't be slaves to selfish passions, quarrel with fate, anxious about the present, or afraid about the future. Book three, Aurelius tells us to be mindful of little things. We shouldn't gossip or speculate about what someone says or does. Think and talk with sincerity and cheerfulness. There is nothing more valuable than a mind pursuing truth, justice, temperance, fortitude, rationality, and the like. Be good. Book four, Aurelius says that we can always find solitude in our minds. As for how others see us, we have little control over this. But virtue is still virtue, even if it isn't acknowledged. You don't need to get Instagram likes for something cool that you did, nice things that you did. There should be nice things that you did, that you did for reasons of virtue, and for virtues of reason, virtuous reasons, that you don't tell people about, that you just do. And that's not a prelude to then me just telling you all these lovely things I've done. Uh, Book five, Aurelius believes that we should do good work every day, act naturally and contribute to society, unconcerned about the reproach of others. Don't expect payment or gratitude for doing good deeds. Boom, Instagram likes. Virtue itself is the payment. Book six, Aurelius disavows revenge. We should do our duty, act righteously, and not be disturbed by the rest. I want to pull out here and say revenge in a business practice practice is always going to be a bad idea. But revenge when it, in justice, you know, retributive justice has been rejected by a lot of people. Um, no European country has the death penalty. A lot of countries in the world don't have it. Um, there is a sense that a lot of Sentencing issues in the States uh, came out of a desire for retributive justice, which every society has. It's not a knock on the States. Loads of other societies have it. Um, But acting righteously is more important and not letting yourself get dragged down. What's it? Don't let a bad person drag you down to their level because then they'll win because it's their level. They're used to it. It's where they operate. Book seven, Aurelius advocates patience and tolerance. How brilliant. So glad I'm covering this. In fact, I, I wish I could make it more widely covered. Book 8. Aurelius argues that being disconnected from humanity is like cutting off one's limbs. No matter what you encounter, maintain a moderate and controlled mind. You can't operate in a vacuum. This is an argument against the echo chamber. You can't just shut yourself off to people who don't agree with you. This is something that, you know, we have to bear in mind with everybody locked in with COVID. Books 9, 10, and 11. Aurelius believes that we should be moderate, sincere, honest, and calm. Measure yourself. Be temperate. Be moderate. Be thoughtful. Book 12. Aurelius questions why we love ourselves the best. 
but often value others' opinions more than our own. He believes this is a mistake. Remember that the destiny of the greatest and the worst people are the same. Death. Don't be proud. Be humble. Die in serenity. How brilliant. So those are the books. Right. Now, let's go into the themes. And they kind of touch on them, but the wide themes that you pull out of it. The art of living. Impermanence. Aurelius reflects frequently on mortality, as I'm sure he would as a Roman emperor, given how often they were murdered. Human life is not forever. Uh, Even memories fade. Striving for fame or immortality in this life and after is vain. Instead, Aurelius taught us to seize the present. Cyclicality. Nature, its cycle of growth and decay, are some topics that Aurelius likes to write about. Fate, causality. Aurelius believes that our path is fated. You're going to go where you're going to go, one way or the other. If that's the person that you are, you're going to go there. But we can choose to go along with it or to be dragged along by it. He took his time exploring this idea in the context of acceptance and resignation to external events. Mindfulness. This comes up a lot nowadays. Mindfulness. Perception begins with attention to the present moment, internally and externally. Objectivity. Making good decisions means identifying and separating raw perception from interpretation. Equality. Human nature is universal, and everyone is subject to the same drives and temptations. Hierarchy. Despite his view, all men might be the same. Aurelius understands the hierarchy in society, especially in Rome where he ruled. Justice. Aurelius doesn't believe in universal, inalienable human rights. He believes more in the needs of someone to act on the common good, even at individual cost. So self-sacrifice. And that is meditations in a balance. Now I think there's a really, we have a solid understanding here of Stoicism up to the present day. So let's talk about modern Stoicism. Why Stoicism for the modern day? The most looked for answer might be because of the enduring pertinence of Stoic ethics. This is from a piece on the conversation. These begin with Epictetus's simple call for people to distinguish between what is and what is not in our control. Stoicism attracts many people now because, historically speaking, the philosophy has re-empowered people individually in a world where everything else is at the disposal of other powers. Meanwhile, right now, we are entering, well, this is the quote, we are entering into a period in which the post-war liberal democratic consensus is straining. Meanwhile, the security and surveillance apparatus of modern corporations and nation states increasingly call into question what privacy could mean in the internet age. The thought above will lead us to what Stoics call virtue. This virtual inner character is what will bring us to our life goal. While external factors are, different, are indifferent, however, are neither are good or bad. It is our own judgment over things which confers on them this power over us. You decide what power it has on you. Tyler Durden in Fight Club. You decide your own level of involvement. But the judgments can be challenged by arguments and reframed through practice and resolve. So we've talked about Stoic virtues above. What is the modern correlation between those virtue, or Stoical virtue, and happiness? First of all, happiness here is not to be translated as a feeling or a mood. It is eudaimonia, which is the flourishing of a whole life. Balance. Modern Stoicism by Julia Anas. Look it up. The Stoics believe that there are no degrees in virtue. Everyone is either virtuous or vicious. Only the sage, someone who is completely virtuous, is virtuous. Fully. This means the rest of us are vicious. Despite that idea above, still quoting Annas here, the Stoics insist that virtue is an ideal that we work towards, not an endeavour that we have already made strides in. An ideal can inspire us to aspiration even if it is not something we can ever achieve. You should aim for something that's unattainable. You don't aim for something that you can get in five minutes. I mean, obviously, for your day-to-day, that's important. But once you feel like you've achieved something, you need to go. Now, this does get dangerous because when you start talking about ideological purity, but Stoicism kind of has a failsafe for that because it's talking about your personal virtue, not other people's. So there's limited scope here to be lecturing other people on how they should behave, a lesson a lot of people need to learn nowadays. 
or relearn. Stoicism in demanding. This isn't easy. It's not easy to aspire to an ideal that you're never going to attain. It's a way of life. And for it to do you any good, it has to be the way you live, the way you live all of your life, not something you can treat like a self-improvement course. Whoa, straight from Julianus there. But I mean, that is powerful. It is what you do and it's everything you do. And it's what you do all the time. It's not, it's not something you get to sort out on a weekend, on a work retreat. Go for it. But it's about how you approach everything. The virtues are there as a guide. One of the core philosophies of Stoicism is living according to nature. This can easily be translated as living according to the way things are meant to change and grow. What is history? It's the study of change over time and repeating itself. Nature is actually comes from the, ter- the Greek term physis, physis, as in physics, but without a C. It's not merely an object, as in the natural world, nor is it a state, as in it's a leaf's natural color. Physics, physis is a process. It describes the way in which things are intended by nature to change and grow. Modern Stoicism, Michael Dore, Michelle Dore. Human nature refers to the condition of a human who is expressing the very best in his or her development, that is, their ultimate best self. They are growing and changing in an effort to reach the ultimate goal for a human being. There are two senses in which we can understand the term human nature. First, each of us has a genetic structure that has been determined by evolution. We also exist at a precise time and place in history surrounded by cultural influences. Whether or not we achieve full potential of our genetic potential depends on both circumstances and our choices. Now this is kind of repeating the core points here. Of it, It's about making the most of your potential and the conditions that you operate under because what you're always operating under are virtues that don't change, that are indestructible. And this has been somewhat proven scientifically. Here's the, stoicism, here's the stoicism effect in positive psychology. This is a study, a 2013 study. Ask participants to exercise in accordance with stoicism, stoic principles. The exercises included early mornings and late evening meditation, daily, daily exercises in the following themes, what is in our power, stoic self-discipline and simplicity, stoic reserve, stoic mindfulness, emotions and adversity, as well as philanthropy and the view from above, from Tim LeBon. Now here, the results of the interview, of the interviews of people. 14% improvement in life satisfaction, 9% increase in positive emotions, 11% decrease in negative emotions, 18% increase in optimism, 56% of the participants believed the exercises made them feel like a better person by 80% or more. So it has a massive effect on the self, which is important to remember. Okay, now, the nitty gritty stoicism and business stoicism transforms negative emotions into a sense of the perspective and prepares people to have the right state of mind it requires being mindful awareness and control stoic exercises such as practicing misfortune and poverty to prepare us for the worst situations and let us know that the worst is not actually the worst this is why stoicism is great for businessmen this is from the website the daily stoic which i'm sure you've come across uh, online and again from them stoic principles can build resilience and states of mind and the state of mind required to rebound from knockbacks, which is important in the world of innovation and entrepreneurship. Things go wrong all the time, just every day. If you can't deal with it, I mean, you know, you can't, you know, you've got to find a way to. Being an entrepreneur, this is Forbes, means creating new experiences, opening untapped markets, and forging new paths. Building a business is risky and involves charting foreign territory. This is where stoicism stands out. The stoics advise us to seek tranquility, but acknowledge that the world is filled with disruptions. The core characters of modern Stoicism that are perfect for leadership lessons from the Daily Stoic. Here they are. The core characters of modern Stoicism that are perfect for leadership lessons. A. Rationality, perspective and logic. B. Authenticity, embracing your uniqueness. Don't try to be something you're not. Be the best version of you. It's not just some nonsense motivational speakers 
speak. First of all, they don't speak nonsense, but it's actually incredibly important. Self-mastery and purposeful action, having clear goals and seeing life as a glass half full. D. Military leaders follow its principles. Stoicism can be the driving force behind a military mindset and its emphasis of endurance, self-control and inner strength. Keep ego manageable and in perspective, flipping obstacles upside down and turn them into opportunities. And globalization. Stoicism perhaps is the first Western philosophy to preach universal brotherhood. Four Stoic principles for entrepreneurs from 99design. Make the best use of time. Seneca said that time is precious. In other words, we should live our life with the best intention and be the master of our own time. The one way to do it is to set clear daily goals. Be the master of our emotions. The Stoics taught us that unpredictable things happen in our life and we can't control it, but we can control how to respond to the events. This means to control our emotions and thoughts. See, walk the path of virtue. Think courage over cowardice or modesty over shamelessness. As an entrepreneur, there will be plenty of ethical dilemmas in running a company. One must take a moment to think of many possible ways to respond and cross out the negative ones. Develop self-mastery. Why develop self-mastery or rigorous self-discipline? Why deny yourself indulgence? Simply put, being a master over your time and your actions can result in incredible outcomes. Entrepreneurs need to be able to achieve goals within certain time periods. After all, investors want quick results, and generally so do you. Some beliefs and values from Stoicism that will be good principles for entrepreneurs, from Forbes. Everything we hear is opinion. Everything we hear is opinion, not a fact. Marcus Aurelius. Being rejected many times might dissuade us from moving forward, but one person's opinion, or even hundreds of opinions, are not necessarily the truth of the ultimate outcome. How many famous entrepreneurs were told, no, that doesn't work, no, that doesn't work, no, that doesn't work? I mean, I... I'm not, I'm not really that successful, but, you know, the company's been going for two years, We've, we're, we're profitable, we're doing a good job for our clients, um, and when we were starting, all I ever heard from people, and I still hear it, was, yeah, but it won't, you know, but it won't because of this, but it won't because then I go, yeah, but it will, yeah, but it will, but it will, and it has, and the best one is, well, not only, but it has, it is right now, so what do you say to that kind of thing, but, you know, you don't say that part, but... Um, People will do that. It's their opinion. Their opinion doesn't matter. What matters is your opinion and your belief and your willingness to stick to it. All things everywhere are perishable, Epictetus. The Stoics ask us to look for the things we take for granted and imagine what we can do without them. Yes, this can be seen as negative visualization, but it also can be taught as reverse gratitude practice. When building a business, we are constantly pressed to move forward. Meanwhile, the business world can be very flexible and has a lot of changes. We can't always predict the markets or any problem that might arise in the future, but we can always enjoy the journey. Some things are up to us and some things are not up to us. Epictetus, we should stop worrying about things we can't control. The stoic approach is to make the best presentation, do the prep work and always be prepared. Do the things you can control. Wherever there is a human being, there is always a chance for kindness. Seneca, a key tenet of a business is how we treat each other. A toxic company culture can be a terrible thing and it, it ruins the people in it as well. The Stoics recognize that other people, whoever they are, are usually the most common element to disrupt our happiness, but they also believe that we are designed to live amongst each other and interact mutually in an advantageous manner. The Stoics ask us to acknowledge our duty to each other. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. Tough times make for robust businesses. There will be many robust businesses that come out of this time that we're going through right now, as sad as it is to see so many go. Marcus Aurelius, building a company is full of challenges. Well, he didn't say that, but... He, that's the thought is from him. Building a company is full of challenges. There will always be problems to resolve. We might feel disheartened, but we can also realize that some things are inevitable and almost always a gift in disguise. 
Here's some lessons from stoicism learned by Itakin Tank in running his company Jotform. This is from Entrepreneur. How to set priorities. Time is the most important asset, especially in the startup world. It is essential to focus our energy on the things that make our companies move forward. This is what Aurelius called essential. How to curb stress. Epictetus wrote that our main goal is to identify and separate matters so that I can say clearly to myself which are externals and not under my control and which have to do with the choice I actually control. By focusing on the internal or the things we can control, we can save time and promote a more positive work culture. How to stop procrastination. Don't get me started. An important tenet of stoicism is, to, is not wasting time and living every day as though it could be our last. Being constantly reminded that we are mortal is a positive motivator to live in the present and stop putting things off. How to manage fear. To define our company against competitors means we have to be innovative, which takes a lot of risk. For Stoics, it is useless to wish things in the world were different. Rather, we should learn to navigate things as they are, including living with our fears. To do so, Stoics use a method called premeditatio malorum, premeditate the bad stuff. This means to imagine the most dreaded outcome in any situation. I try to do that. It's a good thing to do. It's useful. Because if you can cope with that, then you know that you can cope with anything that might happen. And if you can cope with that, everything else is a plus. Stoicism in the workplace. Collaboration and conflict are not opponents. In fact, they're partners. Teamwork should be messy and being a good manager doesn't mean creating a fake, happy workplace. 85% of executives have concerns within their company that they are afraid to raise because they want to avoid conflict. Speak plainly. You won't always get rewarded in corporations, but tell you what, people will value it and they'll remember. And even if you don't get the reward initially, it will come because people need people like you. I know. I just recruited someone who was famous for doing that at previous companies. That's why I recruited them. Marcus Aurelius' book, Meditations, tells us that conflict is inevitable. Of course it is. It, will also, it also will pass in the end, since one of the tenets in meditations is that nothing lasts. Nothing lasts. Another thing to remember is that agonizing over conflicts, except virtues, agonizing over conflicts will make it worse. We also need to pick points, pick and choose whose opinion matters and whose doesn't. Being cr criticized is not the same as conflict. It means that people care. At a certain point, conflict drives innovation. It's from Rieke. So how do you encourage productive conflict? First, listening to all sides matters. Hear that, internet. Don't shield the team from disagreements. Be transparent in the daily teamwork. Encourage dissenting opinions and those who question assumptions. Show this team that disagreeing doesn't mean they'll be seen as a poor team player. Disagreeing is not the same as not doing. These are strategies we can exercise to make our workplace a peaceful one. This is from the Daily Stoic. Don't make things harder than they need to be. Life and our jobs are difficult enough. Let's not make it harder by getting emotional over insignificant matters. B. Impossible without your consent. On tough days, we might be frustrated with our work or other people, but the Stoics taught us about perceptions, thoughts and judgments by our minds. We can't blame others for feeling stressed out or frustrated. The cause is us. The others are just the target. Don't lash out. C. A proper frame of mind. We should never let another person jerk us around the way we let our impulses do. It's time we see that we are not puppets. We should, not, we should be the one in control, not our emotions. When you fire someone that's really done everybody a disservice, it's not an opportunity to get emotional. Just say, done, over, move on, nothing else to do. Which brings us neatly on to D, keep it simple. Let's just focus on what's in front of us. Marcus Aurelius used to say, let's approach each task as if it was our last. And never do anything out of habit. We study philosophy precisely to break ourselves out of rote behavior. Find out what you do out of rote memory or routine. Is that really the best way to do it? Know why we do what we do, then do it for the right reasons. Our career, F, our career is not a life sentence. 
Don't get so wrapped up in your job that we think you're immune from the reality of aging and life. Take pride in your work, but remember, it's not everything. G, protect your peace of mind. Because stoicism can help us manage our emotions, it will also help to manage and mitigate the triggers. Ryan Holiday summarized stoic attitudes towards problem solving in his 2014 book, The Obstacle is the Way. Holiday's book works on three disciplines, action, perception, and will. Here is how a stoic always stays prepared. Accept what is out of your control. This is a constant in Stoic writing. We can only control our minds. Everything else is out of our control. Though we can control how we respond toward the external factors, embrace failure. Imagine everything that could go wrong. Stoics practice failure, meditation, or negative visualization. We should adapt our plans based on some worst possible scenarios. Some tenets from Stoicism that can be proven useful in a workplace by Paul Cooper. Losing your temper is a weakness. Again, for the Stoics, we control our emotions, not the other way around. Being kind is a strength. Practice good character and recognize what is within your control. Be patient with people. We shouldn't pass judgment or inadvertently transmit any judgment. Instead, show people through our own character how to behave. And now, to finish on a series of quotes. From Nassim Taleb on the Daily Stoic. My idea of the modern Stoic sage is someone who transforms fear into prudence, pain into, into information, mistakes into initiation, and desire into undertaking. The things you think about determine the quality of your mind. Marcus Aurelius. Some periods of time are snatched from us. Some are stolen and some simply seep away. Yet the most shameful loss is the loss due to carelessness. If you seek tranquility, do less. Or, more accurately, do what's essential. Do less, better. Because most of what we do, or say, is not essential. Marcus Aurelius. We are not given a short life, but we make it short. And we are not ill-supplied, but wasteful of it. Seneca. If someone asks you how to write your name, would you bark out each letter? And if they get angry, would you then return the anger? Wouldn't you rather gently spell out each letter for them? So then, remember in life that your duties are the sum of individual acts. Pay attention to each of these as you do your duty. Just methodically complete your task. Marcus Aurelius Today I escaped from the crush of circumstances, or better put, I threw them out. For the crush wasn't from outside me, but in my own assumptions. Frame your thoughts like this. You are an old person. You won't let yourself be enslaved by this any longer. No longer pulled like a puppet by every impulse. And you'll stop complaining about your present fortune or dreading the future. Marcus Aurelius. At every moment, keep a sturdy mind on the task at hand. As a Roman, I guess as a citizen, and a human being, do it with strict and simple dignity, affection, freedom and justice, giving yourself a break from all other considerations. You can do this if you approach each task as if it is your last giving up every distraction, emotional subversion of reason, reason, and all drama, vanity, and complaint over your fair share. You can see how mastery over a few things makes it possible to live an abundant and devout life. For if you keep watch over these things, the gods won't ask for more. Marcus Aurelius. He does come up a lot. So, in the majority of other things, we address circumstances not in accordance with the right assumptions, but mostly by following wretched habit. Since all that I've said is the case, the person in training must seek to rise above, so as to stop seeking out pleasure and steering away from pain, to stop clinging to living and abhorring death, and in the case of property and money, to stop valuing receiving over giving. Musonius Rufus. How disgraceful is the lawyer whose dying breath passes while at court, at an advanced age, pleading for unknown litigants and still seeking the approval of ignorant spectators. Seneca. Keep constant guard over your perceptions, for it is no small thing you are protecting, but your respect, trustworthiness and steadiness, peace of mind, freedom from pain and fear, in a word, your freedom. For what would you sell these things? 
Epictetus. Laughter, and a lot of it, is the right response to the things that drive us to tears. Seneca. Thank you so much for joining me here on Blaze Explains. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know we got deep into the philosophy in the beginning, but I felt like we had to do that if we were going to understand all the delicious stuff that came after. I've really enjoyed it. I really appreciate everybody listening to this. If you ever have an idea, hit me up on the various socials. You can also find Origin Hope Media Group. And if you want to contact me through the company, they'll tend to chase me down. And um, as always, please tune in next time and take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Bye bye.